Hi, everybody. Hello, my name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in New York, and welcome all the new people and old people and people in between to Recovery Jam. Um, it's really nice to see all the cameras on. It really is very helpful, and it feels feels like a meeting. You know, when I can see people, I can see your smiles, and and I think it's especially um, important, especially in this chapter that we're talking about working with others, because I it helps to see who we're working with, right? And, and I think about it like at a, at a meeting, you know, when I would come to a meeting, I opened the door and I came inside so you could see me and I could see you and I took a seat, right? I didn't like sit outside in the hall. Um, so I know sometimes people can't have their cameras on, but if you can, it really is, it makes us feel all the more connected. So. Tonight, I'm gonna to pick up on the second part of working with others. And the last part that I left off on, on Monday was um, that really our job is what it is and what it's not as sponsors, right? As someone working with others. What it is is to carry the message. What it's not is to get someone recovered, right? Because that would mean that a, a sponsor has, has the power and we're human, right? We're human beings um, without that power, but we have the power to carry the message. So now I'm gonna pick up on page 98, the first paragraph. And um, it says here, he clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for, nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people and dependence upon God. So, you know, they're talking about this new person that you're, that you're working with who says, um, you know, loudly, clamors means loudly, strongly and loudly, demanding that their needs and really their wants, not so much their needs, but usually when you're clamoring for something, it's that your wants and wishes get to, you know, get met. And, and that they say, you know, this is someone who's saying, well, I can't get sober or I can't get abstinent or I can't work this program until blank, right? Until some human condition falls into place. And you know, it says here that that's nonsense because if you're waiting for your life to fall into place first so that then you can address this food issue that you've got, you're going about this all backwards. You know, and perhaps what you're really looking for is a diet, right? When everything falls into place, then I'll be able to go on a diet. But the truth is for, for those of us who require this solution, remember a spiritual solution, a transformation, what that really means is that our lives are out of alignment with God. So our desires, we don't even know that we want what we're really supposed to be wanting. So if I'm waiting to get well until my human wants are met, you know, I'm basing it on my selfishness rather than on seeking God's will. And my solution has got to be on something more reliable 
than on my constantly changing demands. That's what I found out. My demands are always changing. You know, so my solution is never dependent, can't be dependent on our husbands, can't be dependent on our children, our jobs, our sponsors, which is really good news if you're out there afraid to sponsor because you're afraid of, of this weight, this burden, this weight. Well, it's not yours, so don't worry about it. It's not dependent on meetings, on, on having any of your wishes granted, none of those wishes granted. Rather, it's dependent on God. And, you know, even that sentence that it says that, you know, that um, mastering alcohol, this idea that you can master alcohol once the needs are met. Well, I don't master food. I'm not the master of it. That, that was my problem, that I was under control of the master, of the false master. I was overcome, right? I was overwhelmed. Food was my master. So I don't get to master it. What I get is I get a relationship with the divine master who takes control of mastering the desire, right? Second paragraph on page 98, <clears throat> it says, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone. Only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. So <clears throat> this is really good news because can anyone recover? Can everyone get well? Sometimes people are like, I don't know that I'll be able to. I don't know that this will work for me. Well, this says, yeah, everyone, absolutely. If you think it cannot happen for you, you're mistaken. But here's, here's what it's relying on. You've got to trust God, which starts out as getting rigorously honest, right? That's the way that I demonstrate trust in God. Because I stop practicing all the dishonest things and ways, right? I trust God. I start getting really honest. Um, and I clean house, meaning... I make the needed amends and restitutions. That's what it means to clean house, right? And the next section now discusses on how we can assist and advise people who are cleaning house. Because now we're working with sponsees who are starting to clean their house. We're starting to make these amends, these reparations. And it says, when your prospect has made such reparation as he can to his family, and has thoroughly explained to them the new principles by which he is living, he should proceed to put those principles into action at home. So notice, it doesn't say apologize and expect instant forgiveness, right? It says where we make reparations, meaning repair the damage, and that's often like repaying something, right? Whether through our physical work of re, you know, of like fixing something up. Sometimes it's money, financial. Um, but even more than that, of this like writing a check or hurrying up and doing something real to sort of ease this problem. The important part is that we are told to explain your new principles and then more than just explain them, demonstrate them. So you tell your family, you're supposed to tell your family 
this new way that you're going to be living and then go ahead and start living it, right? Don't make it just empty, empty words. And now it's going to talk about their families not being perfect, right? Though his family be at fault in many respects, he should not be concerned about that. He should concentrate on his own spiritual demonstration. Argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague. And, and I, you know, now we really have a different understanding of what a plague is and how to avoid a plague. You know, um, years ago when I read this for the first time, it was like, yeah, the plague. I had no experience with what it meant to avoid a plague, right? But today we have a very clear understanding of avoiding something like the plague. You know, in the midst of a global pandemic, what happened, right? What did we do to avoid a plague? We shut down cities, right? Schools closed, masks worn, families stopped getting together. People didn't go to stores, you know, et cetera. You didn't go on vacation. We went through great lengths to avoid a plague. Think about now applying the same great care to avoiding arguing and blaming. Go to that length to stop arguing with people, right or wrong, fair or unfair, right? We didn't walk around saying, this isn't fair. I can't go to the mall. There's a pandemic. This, this isn't fair to me, right? People, I mean, people canceled weddings, right? And they might've been sad and bothered by it, but they were concerned for their life. So they avoided it. Well, this is the same thing for us. We have to avoid fault finding and blaming and arguing. Um, you know, why? Because we wanna avoid getting sick. We wanna avoid the illness, right? Suffering from this disease. Page 99 says the alcoholic continues to demonstrate that he can be sober, considerate and helpful regardless of what anyone says or does. Okay, for me, that is where I know that I use willpower. Remember, I don't use willpower for food, but you bet being considerate and helpful regardless of what other people say and do are often times that I have to call upon the will, right? Because when people are doing things, you know, that are perhaps inconsiderate, right? That are, that are bothering me in some way. And I still have to be, yes, sober, right? Yes, food sober, doesn't matter what other people are doing and still considerate and still helpful, right? And although it says here we fall, we all fall much below this standard, whew, thankfully we're not expected to be perfect, right? Just grow spiritually. We fall below the standard many times, but we must try to repair the damage immediately lest we pay the penalty by a spree. So although, you know, like we hear a lot progress, not perfection, Okay, so it means I'm gonna make mistakes, but I'm not just gonna say, well, you know, I made a mistake, so I'll just sweep it under the rug and forget about it. Because we're told here, if you don't repair the damage, right? When you make that mistake, 
you may pay the penalty by a spree. People, you know, that when they wonder why is it that they got to a certain point and then went back to the food, sometimes this is one of those places. They fall below the standard and then they don't make any restitution. They don't try to clean it up with their family. So, you know, we know we're gonna get, we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna mess up, but we clean up our mistakes quickly. We don't let them linger too long. Page 100, first paragraph. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realized that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. Okay, like I read this and it's, I, I like immediately I go, holy smokes, like what an incredible promise. Because like I can be happy no matter what's going on. I can have peace no matter what anyone else is doing, right? And so, you know, it's a great gift we get. And it means that the person I'm working with, along with myself, we're walking along together, doing this thing together, both of us getting stronger connections with God, like shoulder to shoulder. And it's, you know, this disease is progressive right? We're told it's progressive. And so my recovery must be as well. My relationship with God must progress as well. It must get deeper. It must get stronger, you know? And um, my experience is the disease is progressive, but so is recovery. So is recovery. Recovery progresses too. Um, I've experienced the truth that my plans have paled in comparison to God's plan. I could write a book about all the plans and designs that I have for me, for my kids, for my mom, for my job, for my husband, for, for people in general. And if my plans would have come to fruition, I would never have experienced the incredible miracles that God had planned for me. I've seen it in so many ways from the caregiver that takes care of my mother, totally fell in because God had a plan for my daughter, different than mine. She went in a specific direction, which brought my mother's caregiver into our lives, changed the whole scenery of, of how I anticipated things were gonna be. So, and that's just one small, small, you know, way. Um, here's what it is. If I adhere to the principles, I get to experience all the circumstances as though they're wonderful adventures, right? I adhere to the principles and then all the things that happen, they become adventures on my path. God allows us really to rise above our difficulties. 
remember, you know, when we began to take um, step 10, there was a part where we read that we entered the world of the spirit. And I think about like what it means to live in this world of the spirit, like different rules, different laws, different ways, right? And one of the things we experience in this world of the spirit is the ability to rise above mere human circumstances. You know, in, in the regular world, our happiness is bound by what other people are doing and by us getting our way. But I just, I really have to say that more and more, my happiness is not so much attached to my mere circumstances anymore. My happiness seems to come more and more by living in agreement with God's will. I seem to have a general, more general state of happiness. So second paragraph says, when working with the man and his family, you should take care not to participate in their quarrels. You may spoil your chance of being helpful if you do. Defects of character are not going to disappear overnight. Ask them to remember when they are impatient, the blessed fact of his sobriety. So I have to say like when a sponsee tells you something that their husband did or their mother did or their kids said or didn't say or did or didn't do, we don't jump in there and participate in their quarrels by saying things like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. What a jerk, you know, your husband did what, you know, and, and, and fuel the fire. That would be participating in their quarrel. So it's, you know, I know sometimes there's confusion and we say like, you know, we're friends because we're supposed to be friends with ours. It says we're friendly. That's the direction, right, in, in this. But my old definition of friends used to be agree with me. If you're my friend, you agree with me. If you're my friend, you're on my side, you're my ally. And actually a real friend in this program is someone who helps me see where I'm to be worked on, where I am to seek God more, where I am to focus on myself and not on other people, right? They're there to help me find my part, how I can sooner live in agreement with God's will. So, you know, so what do we do? You know, when, when somebody, when a sponsor or a fellow complains, we point the light back on them and their part. But we can also be encouraging. We can also be kind when they fall short, right? And they snap at their spouses and, you know, and they say something and they're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I did it again. I mean, you know, sometimes people are really, they, they, they come down to themselves with a whip. They're like, I'm an idiot. I can't believe I did that again. I'm, I'm horrible. You know, we don't jump on them either, right? But instead we say like, okay, all right, let's clean this up, right? You, you clearly have to clean it up. Um, you got really mad. Now let's take a moment and acknowledge the miracle here. You didn't eat over this, right? We're supposed to point people at the blessed fact of their sobriety. That although we fall short of the mark, like that's a miracle. You made a mistake and you didn't go out and get a pint of ice cream, that's pretty amazing, 
let's take stock of that. Now let's make the amend and continue, right? So here, here we're told, if you've been successful in solving your own domestic problems, tell how that was accomplished. In this way, you can set them on the right track without becoming critical of them. The story of how you and your wife settled your difficulties is worth any amount of criticism. I love this. For me, this really gives me clear directions on how to be, how to teach, how to guide. We guide by sharing our own mistakes. We guide people by sharing our own process, by telling what we did to make things better in our own homes, right? So it, it, for me, it really also points that the sponsor and sponsee clearly have a relationship and that we're sharing ourselves and our experiences. It's very much a part of how we teach and how we lead, always by example. Remember, we're always supposed to share our experience. That's the thing that makes us uniquely useful, right? That's the thing. So what I find more and more is I have a sponsee or a co-fellow who shares something that they're going through, a mistake that they made. And I've got a catalog of mistakes I've made. I can write a book about all the mistakes I've made and all the growth that I'm seeking and making. And we share it, right? We share it with one another. Um, and I think that's a good way for us to also, you know, keep in mind a humility. Just, you know, if you've got some experience, it just means you're a little further, just a little further, but we're certainly not perfect. You know, the next part talks about um, how we live in the world now. How is it that we live in the world? How this new man who has made his amends, who's practicing spiritual principles, operates and functions in the world. It says here, assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There's something the matter with his spiritual status, right? In page 101, third paragraph says, so our rule is to not avoid a place where there's drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. And there's an important qualification. Ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you will need and have no apprehension. Go or stay away whatever seems best, but be sure that you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are shaky, you would better work with another alcoholic instead. So, okay, so you're spiritually fed, fit, it says, assuming you're spiritually fit. So, what does that mean? Um, at this point, the hospitalization period is over, right? If you're spiritually fit, 
you're no longer in this. And when, when we talk about the hospitalization period, for those of you that are new here, it does not mean we go into the hospital. Some of us might need to, but it's a, it's a general way that we've, it's a language that we've sort of been sharing and using here that in the doctor's opinion, it talks about this hospitalization you know, for people who are jittery or befogged. And so what we have discussed here is that there's a period of time when people need a lot of structure and support so that they're best able to focus on getting well. And we kind of have called it the hospitalization period, but it doesn't mean you're in a hospital. It just means you're refraining from certain worldly acts so that your main focus is on your food recovery, your alcohol recovery, you're getting well, right? And we call that the hospitalization period. So I don't want anyone to get confused and think, oh, in this, in this group, everybody there goes into a treatment facility. It's for people, that's not the case at all. I did not go into a treatment facility. Okay. So but when I say you're out of the hospitalization period, it means like at this point, we have to be free to be out there in the world at large if we're spiritually fit. Meaning we go to functions, we might be in restaurants, we might be in social gatherings. You know, and there's no reason why spiritually fit, you can't go to social functions and business functions. I can go anywhere if my reasons for going are good, right? But if I feel shaky and unsettled, the directions are always to work with others. So if I don't feel safe in going someplace, I'm told, then go work with someone, then go work with someone. Okay, now it says, why sit with a long face in places where there's drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, Try to increase the pleasure of those there. If it's a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you're with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. Few people will ask you to eat a piece of cake. If you explain to them thoroughly, right? Explain to them what your situation is. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you're getting back into the social life of the world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. Your job is now to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere you can be helpful. So I have to tell you, I've got to practice before I go anywhere. Anywhere social, anywhere where there's lots of uh, extra food around. What do I do? I meditate and I pray. That's my practice. And my prayer is that God allows me to find the person I'm meant to help. This is my prayer. God, please show me who I am to help today. Please use me to show others 
how amazing your power truly is. And then I go someplace, when I go someplace, it's almost like a hide and seek mission. My job is to find the person I'm supposed to help. It might have nothing to do with compulsive overeating at all. Those people, when your eye and your heart is set on finding someone you're supposed to help, just watch out. They are there. They show up. They're there. You know, I look for someone who might seem like they're socially awkward, who might look shy and uncomfortable, who might need a friend. And especially if I'm nervous about going someplace, if I have any kind of social anxiety, go find someone who looks more anxious than you, right? Instantly, the anxiety quiets. You know, when I go to family functions, uh, one thing that I used to do is I would sit next to the aunt that nobody wants to sit next to. I would just make sure that I sat next to her and I would be especially friendly and nice to her. Um, you know, I carry plates of food for someone with a walker. That's something I can easily do. If I've got, you know, older relatives with a walker, it's hard to navigate with the food and their walker. So I carry their plate of food for them. Um, I play with my nieces and nephews, babies. I've got like great nieces and great nephews. And it's like the best gift I can give my nieces and nephews because all they want to do is sit at the table extra long and have an adult conversation, right? They want to linger at the table. And I don't want to linger at a table anymore, right? So I get up and I play with their babies. I, you know, I'll go throw a ball around or I'll play a little game with one of the kids. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's something that I can do easily. Um, I shared, you know, I've got a really powerful story um, about what it looks like for me, you know, at a social gathering. I, um, I had a nephew's wedding years ago in Texas and um, my nephew and his wife are um, vegan. And actually you would think that at a vegan wedding, someone like me who eats a ton of vegetables would have an easy time, but there was nothing on that menu that I could eat, nothing. It was crazy. Um, and I, I called beforehand um, the caterer and I found out what was on the plan and I was not gonna burden my nephew and my niece with having to find food for me. They're a young couple getting married. That's not their job to feed their aunt. It's my job to take care of me with the food. So I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to eat food there and I took care of my meal before. I made sure I ate for, I was a little bit nervous because here I am in Texas. It's going to be an all day thing. You know, I don't drink and I don't eat, right? What do I do? I prayed before this wedding, just like I always pray, like God put someone in my path and I'm supposed to help. You know, I get to the wedding and I get online to get a drink. You know, I'm just going to have a club soda. I go up to the bartender and I ask the bartender for a club soda and I say, put a lot of lemon in it and put a nice straw in it, make it look like a real drink. And I laughed. And this guy right behind me says, young guy, like early 20s says, um, real quiet. He goes, you don't drink? I said, no, no, that ship sailed long ago. I've had, a, I've had enough drinks at enough weddings, you know, for a lifetime. And he whispers to me and he goes, um, 
this is my first sober affair, just, just got out of rehab. He's like, how do you do these things sober? And, um, you know, I choke up because I, it, I mean, like, it was so clear that this was the guy I was supposed to help. And I told him, I said, you know, it's funny. I, um, I pray before I come and I ask God to show me who I'm supposed to help, put someone in my path that I'm supposed to be useful for. And tonight, I think it's you. And, and it was like, you know, it, he, it was just amazing. It was really amazing. We had a great conversation. Um, you know, he, it turns out he's my nephew's first cousin on the other side. Haven't seen him since he was a toddler. I'm not really sure how he's doing today. My nephew, they kind of lost touch a little bit. I'm hoping that he's well, but I can tell you, um, I didn't, I had no desire to eat that night. None. You know, it's like instantly removed. Um, so we're careful never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution, right? So I don't get on a bandwagon screaming about how sugar is in everything and that's terrible. And, and fast food is like the, the ruin of ch children across the country. Like I'm not a, a reformer, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a reformer. I might have some of those feelings, but that's not my platform, right? I'm not gonna show intolerance or hatred of eating a food as an institution. Why? Because this attitude is not helpful to anyone. Every new alcoholic looks for this spirit among us and is immensely relieved when he finds that we're not witch burners. A spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity. So I might have strong opinions, you know, about a lot of things, right? I do, about the food industry, the fast food industry, the diet industry, the weight loss surgery industry, all those things, I might have feelings about them. But if I'm vocal and I'm opinionated, I will turn people off, right? And so my shares, I have to tell you like, my shares, whether it's on a recorded meeting, a non-recorded meeting, at a face-to-face at a -face meeting, working with sponsees, my shares are not gonna be about the evils of sugar, the evils of food, right? Because it won't draw people into the real solution, the real solution being God, the real solution being a spiritual connection. It'll be distracting. Right? If I talk about food too much, it's distracting for people. You know, and what I found too is that if I have this attitude of bitterness and hostility towards food, right? Um, it's not helpful to people because what will happen is if somebody is a compulsive overeater and they're eating, and I make it uncomfortable to be around me because they feel the judgment of me on their plate. It's not that they're gonna not eat compulsively, but they're not gonna eat compulsively in front of me. And if food is your master, if I believe that they're under control 
of food as their master. What does that mean? It means that they're going to avoid me because food will tell them eating is first. Eating is primary. Eating is important. And so it's not gonna stop them from eating, but it's gonna stop them from eating in front of me. So they will avoid me. How can we help people who are avoiding us, right? We can't. So the greatest thing we can do to pe for, for people, for Overeaters Anonymous, for this program of recovery, is to be warm and friendly and kind and considerate, regardless of what anyone has spilling over onto their plate, right? And what I say is sometimes when I sit next to people at affairs, right? And they notice, people know me well in my family, in my work, and they're like, wow, you've really kept your weight off. Or they'll say things like, gosh, you're so good. You're, are you always this good? I'm being bad. I make sure to stress that this is not a moral issue. I am not being good and they are being bad. I say to them, you're not being bad, you're eating. Enjoy, it looks delicious. That's it, right? I want people to be comfortable around me because then when they are seeking the solution, when they really wanna know, they're not gonna feel uncomfortable and judged, right? We cannot work with others who feel, who feel, um, disapproval, who feel judgment. That is not our job, right? So, um, you know, remember, we've stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. We're not in the business of fighting. Thanks. And with that, I'll pass.